Welcome everybody to this episode of the Women in Technology Spotlight. Today I have with me Dr. Dora Zwanyar. She is a science and tech communicator. Welcome, Dora. Hi, glad to be here. Thank you, Dora, for giving me your time and talking to me. Let's just start off with a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Sure. Well, I don't know how to describe myself in a couple of sentences. Um, I am from Hungary originally, but I grew up here in uh, Bavaria near Munich and I studied computer science. I always knew that that's what I wanted to do. I then went on and got my PhD as well, which I never thought I wanted to do, but it was really fun for me. I can talk about that a little bit later mm -hmm. if you want. Um, yeah, and apart from that, I now work in science communication, which kind of, you know, led all everything that I did kind of let me here. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I live in Munich. I when I'm not working, which is um, quite rare <laughs> at this point, I um, really like to go climbing. I love to do improv theater. I actually am I am also a TEDx organizer, which is the local independently organized format of TED Talks that many might know. So I co-founded TEDx TUM in Munich here at TUM. And yeah, I live in Munich with my cat who might be jumping in the picture at some point later, but she's sleeping now. So cool. So especially about the TEDx, I will ask a couple of questions sure. about that later. Um, so first, you said you're from Hungary initially. Did you come to Bavaria to study or did your family move uh, here? No, I basically, I grew up here. So I was six when we moved to Germany and I started school here in Germany. So I, I think probably for most people I would count as German. It's just that I speak an additional language. Maybe it's a bit easier for me to learn foreign languages or at least it used to be when I was a bit younger mm -hmm. and uh, yeah and I got a bit of maybe added culture added perspective on some topics but otherwise consider me German I think. <laughs> okay so you already talked about school so you went to school in Germany tell me a little bit about your education so what kind of school did you go to how did you become interested in your technical career and to studying computer science and yeah. Yeah, so I went to, I think it's called secondary school. It's like a gymnasium, basically, in German. Um, and I kind of always knew that I wanted to do something with computer science. Mm -hmm. And my dad is a computer scientist. So we had a computer at home, even in the 90s when I was little. And that wasn't, you know, the usual thing, at least not in Hungary. Not every household had a computer with the internet connection um later on and yeah so I kind of I think this was kind of my role model in a way but that was kind of kind of my role model in a way um and I never really thought about doing something else there was a brief period in which I wanted to be become a cat psychologist but I kind of <laughs> kind of went away really quickly probably luckily so because I wouldn't be <laughs> I wouldn't be this fulfilled I think um yeah and then I went on to to study at uh, Tom here in Munich Mm -hmm. And I did my bachelor's and master's in information systems, which is about 70% computer science, 30% business stuff, um, which was kind of nice. And I really enjoyed it. So just a kind of um, formal education that I have. 
Okay, so that's interesting. You said your dad was your role model, and it's um, you're one of the few women I've talked to in this series who have actually wanted to become a computer science or work with uh, with tech uh, from a young age. So most women I talk to came to tech at a later point in time. So tell me a little bit about how that played out. Your father being a computer scientist, um, did he talk to you a lot about what he did, or did you find it fascinating, or what what was the appeal of, of computers when you were young yeah so i don't remember exactly i might be building these memories you know to justify kind of my my points but uh, the way i remember it is uh, that we talked a lot like i used to sit in, in his lab and play you know memory you know this very old gray tiled memory um game and uh and i think it was space invaders something with a rocket ship mm -hmm. um so i was really interested in it and i think my parents they never discouraged me in a way. I don't remember either being encouraged or discouraged. They were just like, you know, like do whatever you're interested in. Um, there wasn't also like back then there weren't like courses or anything where you would, um, you know, send your kids. So I think I did most of that at home. Um, but, you know, when I got to university, so I, I taught myself um, a bit of uh, PHP at home and I did a lot of like photo manipulation, Photoshop stuff, you know, Back then it was all the rage uh, really and I and I taught myself all that and I was I think I had a kind of decent first grasp of object oriented concepts as well mm -hmm. by the time that I got to uni but it was horrible like the first months everybody was like you know sitting around me was like already so proficient and everything and I was there at like this beginner java course and I thought you know I already got had already gotten started before that but it was just I just felt like the biggest beginner there so it was really really hard mm -hmm. um, to be honest I think I got over it quickly at least I don't have that many bad memories but I remember in the in the first like semester or so being very overwhelmed especially you know by these people mostly male sitting like near you who have been gaming and programming their whole lives and I just felt like so out of place yeah in a way but that got better Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can can relate to that. I think that's what a lot of us experience that when we come in this, into this environment that we have this phase where we feel a little bit out of place if we haven't been, you know, doing the same stuff and, and been in the same, same circles for a long time. Yeah, and especially I, I, just, I knew that this is what I wanted to do, right? If I hadn't been really, really sure, it would have been even harder. So I guess, you know, if somebody yeah. else feels this way which i'm sure many do just stick with it it will become mm -hmm. easier and since then you know i've watched hundreds of students go through this phase and get better so it really works out um if you if you just don't quit yeah so after you did your masters you decided to do your phd as well and you said earlier that you never thought you would be doing that so what changed your mind uh, to, to to stay at university yeah, I mean, I thought that people who do their PhD are crazy, basically. I just I couldn't think of a single reason why anybody would want to subject themselves to it, at least not in computer science, you know, because there's all this other cool stuff that you can do, like work as a consultant or work in industry or, you know, whatever. Back then, I was really into automotive and I wanted to become an IT consultant. But then um, I kind of well, I got in contact with this really cool chair um, that doesn't exist anymore. It's the Professor Burgess chair, at which used to exist at Tom for Applied Software Engineering. 
And um, I got to meet a lot of people. I started as a TA there. Mm -hmm. um, so student ass assistant basically in this very applied course for learning um, iOS development. Oh. So we work with clients from industry per semester. We had like 100 students, 10 to 12 projects, each with a client from industry like Siemens or BMW. And you know, using this kind of real world problem, we would teach them in small teams how to program a, mm -hmm. a mobile application for iOS. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. And I really loved being able to teach in my chosen field, you know, which I think um, you don't get many chances for that. Um, so I decided kind of to kind of exist there for uh, the next couple of years. And for me, the, the title itself was always, I don't want to say bonus because it still was a lot of work, mm -hmm. but uh, let's see, uh, or let's say that, um, you know, I would have been fine walking out of there without a title, just having taught for five years and having had really a lot of fun and having seen a lot of different applications of technology and a lot of different types of people, students learning and approaching the problems, that would have been fine. So this was the motivation for my PhD and I got a title out of it in the end. Um, I just want to interject something quickly for those viewers who are not from, from Germany and not especially from Bavaria, that TUM is the Technical University in Munich. So it's just, you know, this little abbreviation and we both know what it is. So just to make sure that everyone knows what university we're actually talking about. And what I realized when you talked about how you worked with the students and the teaching that this was already a lot about communicating science right and and tech so this is something you obviously very passionate about because you just said you would have been fine walking out of there even without your phd title just uh, for the the benefit of having been able to teach people uh, about technology tell me a little bit about that side of your yeah it's it's funny that you say that because i think this was exactly the effect again i might be you know building these steps in between it wasn't it didn't feel like it was one step after the other at the time but um, but just, you know, now looking back, it does. Um, I mean, one of the favorite parts of the course was kind of teaching them to um, present their often very technical details like algorithms, the way that an algorithm works, machine learning algorithm, for example, um, in like playful ways. So it sounds a bit childish when I explain it, but it, it, I don't think it was, and most of the time at least. So they would like um, think of small theater scenes or plays to act it out really either a user in context or a problem being experienced and how the app helps or even an algorithm like the different steps of an algorithm just act it out in a in a kind of playful way um, and just kind of teaching the students to appreciate breaking down really complex technical uh, things so that everybody would understand them and also start to care, you know, about the problem or a problem that's being addressed here. Um, that was really fun for me always. And this is also around the time that I got into TEDx and we founded TEDx TUM or TUM. Mm -hmm. um, and there, you know, I got to work with a lot of different speakers who are often scientists um, that are very, very renowned in their fields. And they're, you know, they have all these titles and prizes but they're often really self-conscious about talking to people who are not from their field. And they also don't think that their work really counts in the real world. You know what I mean? I can relate to that as well, because what I learned um, 
I had a have a PhD in in chemistry actually, and I work in tech. And and what I have noticed, and I don't know if that's something that's very common in the German speaking um, area, is that a lot there are a lot of very bad presenters. So we have an issue presenting technology or topics in a way that people can relate to them. So yes. it's interesting that you said you taught your students to actually act out the, the steps of a solution or of an algorithm. That's such an interesting approach. Um, how did you how did you think of that? Is that something that came from your improv theater interest or was it the other way around that that got you into improv theater? Uh, so, so this wasn't my idea. It was a technique that uh, my professor invented uh, that's, that he called software theater because it's theater about software in this case. Um, I really, I also don't think it's something that I would recommend, you know, to use in every life situation. It's just, you know, going through that and this being such an extreme example, they kind of got to add it to their kind of arsenal of like tools, basically. So there's not only one way to present a problem. Um, I, improv theater is something else. I just really like after the end of um, a really stressful day or just a day where you, you know, we're thinking inside of boxes and we're super structured that you get into a context where anything is possible as long as you believe in it and as long as you commit to it and kind of taking this not being able to plan any step further because you have to wait for a reaction of somebody else and then just roll with it that that I find find really nice but it's it's different from yeah. my from my work career I would say yeah it I, it just uh reminded me of that you, you said you were into improv theater and I was thinking about how this teaching method had a lot of creativity because you know when you look at, at tech and science from the outside it's often very dry that's the the picture that people have in their head and the way you talk about it and the way you taught it makes it come more alive. So I think this is this is an important topic to talk about how we communicate science and technology, actually. So I think you're the perfect person to talk to this, actually, um, because obviously this is something you do. And, and tell me a little bit why you do this and, and what, what it means to you, you know, teaching um, or, or talking about science and tech. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's playfulness is very, very important, even if you don't, you know, if it doesn't end up being in your end product, because you're doing a very businessy presentation or something where you have to be, you know, 100% inside the box. It's still good that you have it inside of you and that you maybe play around with it and try it out. Mm -hmm. um, why I care so much about it, I think, uh, I don't know, it's uh, the, the moment that's best for me mm -hmm. is when a person kind of realizes that what they just said sounds good to somebody else but they wouldn't have believed it before so it's like huh that actually sounds really nice and it's understandable and it's exactly what is kind of like in my head but now I got it out mm -hmm. and this kind of this makes people from you know all age groups backgrounds genders equally just happy <laughs> and I really like experiencing that and you know mm -hmm. having or knowing that I was kind of part of it, part of getting them there. Mm -hmm. um, that's really cool. And I feel, I think it's empowerment mostly, this yeah. kind of feeling that you were, you're like, oh, I didn't know that I was able to do that or say it that way, but I am, and it's really cool. Um, so I really love that. It's interesting that you use the term empowerment because it just reminded me that communication is this form of power if you do it right, no? For sure, yeah, yeah. for sure. 
So um, coming back to the whole way we communicate tech and science, I think it's very important um, that this changes because I think one of the reasons there are not that many women in tech or in science is the way tech and science are communicated at a societal level and also at university often. So mm -hmm. there's a lot, as I said, there are a lot of bad presenters and my experience is that there's also a lot of bad teachers, you know. So um, changing the way we communicate about these topics that are so important for our um, uh, society nowadays is a big, big thing. Yeah, and, and you know, what often happens is that the people who are doing the work are not necessarily the ones communicating it. Mm -hmm. um, so there is like, if you, you know, the pandemic is an obvious example to take, but there's lots of others. But if you, you know, you have the scientists or, you know, the technical people on one side and the media press general public on the other side, it doesn't really make sense to add somebody in between because yeah. you know it will just not be the same and what also happens like the, the cliche way that happens i think in in organizations of course it's not this way everywhere and i do think it's getting better but what you do see often is um that the scientists or people doing the work that as well as the bosses are men and then you have women in the communications department and i really don't like that this should be you know all mixed up and one thing and the people doing the work should also communicate it i think i agree and i think that's because we have a very traditional split of roles here a lot of people think that women are much better at communication and that's usually true and but then there's the other notion that men are better at tech and science which is not necessarily true sure. so i think what we would like is to make women more confident in going into tech and science themselves and making men more capable of communicating what they're doing so this would be the perfect scenario i think you know yeah both more capable as well as make them like you know both of these uh make them care more and also believe more that their talents are or their skills are well served in that area you know like as a tech person and i've seen this with a lot of students who are like what are you on about like this you know this theater thing i don't know i want to code preferably alone so yeah. like leave me alone with all your soft stuff whatever and then you know kind of getting them it, does, it didn't work with everybody. I'm not saying that after that, they were like, okay, software theater, I'll never do anything else in my entire life. But they did, most of them did kind of see that this can be useful, even the, mm -hmm. you know, most removed, very traditional techie types. Yeah. Um, but just to kind of, as I said, add it to their kind of arsenal of, of tools that they don't have to use, but they can when they feel that they need it. Yeah. This is a topic I'm very passionate about, and I talk about it often because I feel that, especially in the, even in the tech field, you know, we, there's still this notion that you are maybe a programmer, you sit in a dark room, you work for yourself, and, and then there's an end product, but it's not like that anymore. No. If you look at the way the tech space is uh, organized, you need people who are capable of working in teams, so you need people who are capable of communicating and not just with other programmers. They have to be able to communicate with people with different skill sets. And so it's so important that they actually learn this while they're still at university and and of course um software theater is a very specific thing but the whole uh topic around presentation skills communication skills is something that i feel has to be um brought into the universities it's it's really the the curriculum is really lacking these things 
Yeah, and, and people won't learn, you know, presentation skills or communication skills just through theory. Mm -hmm. I think it works best when they get to communicate something that they already care about. Yeah. And that's what they worked on is usually what they what they care about. So they want people to understand and you can learn that much better this way. I, and, and sorry, just one additional point to what you what you just said about um, about tech tech people being able or having to be able to communicate with with other non tech people. Um, this is also what I love about tech that you get to um, be useful and create value and solve problems in fields that you have no idea about. Mm -hmm. Like we did a project um, together with um, a hospital here in Munich where we kind of helped um, the stroke unit to see where they're losing time with stroke patients that come in, you know, mm -hmm. because when yeah. you have a stroke yeah. time is very precious. And we uh, kind of devised a system that enabled them to do this, to kind of see where they're losing time um, without adapting their workflow. This was very important. So without having to change anything on of what they do. And we didn't know about anything about, you know, how to treat a stroke or mm -hmm. any, we didn't have any medical knowledge, but we still, um, by communicating with them and understanding what they need and what's important, mm -hmm. we still got to create value and real value in this different field that we have no idea about. And this is something that I really, really love mm -hmm. about tech in general. Yeah, this this reminds me of of a design thinking course that I did recently, and that that's uh, actually one of the things that you try to do when you do design thinking. You talk to the people. Uh, uh, you you are designing your solution for and this means again that you have to be able to emphatically listen and, and communicate and watch what they do you know to understand how they do it and what they actually need in terms of a solution so there's so many what we erroneously call soft skills in tech nowadays and i think that is a, a result of tech becoming part of mainstream life it didn't used to be like that in the early 90s or or even in the 80s but nowadays mm. i think there is no area in the world that's not touched in some form by digitalization so all these people who used to be in their own field doing stuff in tech and uh who didn't have any in intersection with real life now have to move into this real life that we're living in or everyone is living in. Definitely. So, yeah. So there's another thing you do. I think you also work as a coach, right? I, I think I saw that on your profile, like you're doing a business coaching or is that a, something I'm, I'm remembering wrong? Yeah, no, no, I am speaker coaching basically. Oh, yeah, speaker and this, coaching, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and this came out of this whole um, volunteer effort at TEDx Tom. So I worked over um, years, I worked with speakers, mostly scientists, not only scientists, from different fields. Mm -hmm. And I got into this as a volunteer, right? I So TEDx is a volunteer endeavor. You don't get any money for it. You also don't pay for it. It's just, you do it because you care about you spreading ideas. And here at, at TUM, we have so many ideas that we felt needed spreading. So we founded it. And um, I work with a lot of speakers around 10 to 15 per year, sometimes more, over months and months, kind of distilling their, what was in their head into a short form talk. That's very high stakes also, like TED Talks are very intense. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a very personal process. And I don't, to be honest, I think I got into it because nobody else on the team wanted to do it at the time. And we were so few that I was like, okay, I'll mm -hmm. do it. And then I got so much, like over the years, people kept telling me, 
thank you. Like what you said back then really helped me or this process really, you know, and they kept, you know, making these comments about me mm -hmm. and my contribution. And I, you know, the first 20, I probably brushed off and didn't even notice, mm -hmm. but after a while, like this, this was a, re a repeating thing. And I was like, okay, I seem to be good at this. <laughs> I also, or I seem to be able to help these people and I am also having fun doing it. Mm -hmm. So why not continue doing it? So I'm also a freelance speaker coach right now, not that much because I don't have much, you know, free time um, next to my, my full-time job, which is also now in science communication. So this was kind of the road um, to me discovering something that I was good at and that I really enjoyed, which I wouldn't have discovered otherwise. Absolutely not. Because, mm -hmm. you know, how would you, and um, this kind of, you know, this, coaching students in a way, um, especially in communicating technological things, as well as coaching scientists um, for these short form talks, and then discovering that I'm, I seem to, you know, I seem to have like both um, a liking for it, as well as kind of a talent, if you can call it that, for it, um, and I have fun doing it. So this is where I stayed, kind of. And I can feel that you're very passionate about what you do and you're really at home in this world you have created and I love that and I find it very interesting because you are in tech mm -hmm. in the ones on the one side but on the other hand it's not at all what people imagine tech to be you know so it's a very outgoing very communicative and very creative space that you have created for yourself or found for yourself in tech and um if you think back over the years you have been in tech, um, would you would you say that there is room for anyone or even women to create their space in tech? Is that something you would maybe recommend women to do to come and, and follow um, their dream? You know, there's a lot of reluctance in, in some women to come into this space. So do you feel that there is room to create your own thing? Of course, of course, there's room for anyone anywhere, <laughs> honestly, yeah. honestly, really. Like, um, I mean, you said even women, I really don't think that it's, you know, the the talent mm -hmm. is um, is dependent on gender at all, you know, the, you know, how much you're drawn to it uh, by your kind of social conditioning is definitely, you know, dependent not on the gender, but on how we grew up or grow up in this world as well as the, your likelihood of staying, uh, of finding kind of your, you know, place where you feel at home and you feel like you could exist for a long while. Um, those are the problems, but the, the talent is, is there definitely, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that for wholeheartedly. And this is my opinion. I just want to have it said out in the open. Yeah, of course. I'll again. say it. I'll <laughs> say it as many times as you want. Yes, um, but you. I think also, like in my, like what I just said about how I got here, I wouldn't have believed that I can do what I'm doing now. And I just discovered it because I did it and I did it because it was needed at the time, you know? So I was like, I don't know, I'll do this. And then I was good at it. So I think if somebody's unsure, male or female, you know, whether there is a place for you in tech, talk to people, look for a place, try it out. You know, there's all these different Mm -hmm. um, kinds of kind of low threshold ways you don't have to you know quit your job and you know take any job in tech to find that out there's other ways of doing that through clubs hobbies volunteering 
you know, work placements or shadowing people, all that, just, just try it, get a taste of it. That's perfect. And um, it's also the perfect ending because my next, my last question would have been, what do you recommend to women who are interested into coming to this space? And I think those are the things that you would recommend. Try out stuff that you're interested in. You know, there's so much um, nowadays that, that's available, as you said, clubs, there's online courses, there's all these things. And there, I think, are also quite a lot of networks, um, women's networks who are in this space that will support you and talking to people. Networking is also a big thing, right? Yeah, and I, yeah, definitely, definitely, because, you know, you wouldn't say, you know, art is not for me because you went to a museum once and you didn't like it. <laughs> so just because you have seen one job in tech or have been in one job in tech that you don't like, it doesn't mean that it's not for you. I think we're kind of conditioned to think that because we also already feel like, you know, we don't belong on average at least, but... Uh, but you know it's it's so that it's like one of the most diverse fields I mean come on there's you know there there has to be something that is fun and that you enjoy um, in addition I think I would recommend um, kind of taking maybe a step back and thinking about the skills that you have not in terms of you know what am I really good at there might be things that you're really good at those yes for sure but also like what do I really enjoy because you're likely already good at it even though if you wouldn't you know, consider yourself good at it. So just go by also what others tell you, mm -hmm. um, as well as kind of what you would like to do in the future. And taking this kind of abstract look, uh, like where could the skills be applied, gives you a much um, maybe easier way to relate to a position that is maybe in tech, maybe somewhere else, but it doesn't, you know, you don't say, okay, I want to be in tech, but you say, I want to apply these skills. Mm -hmm. Where can I apply those? Uh, in tech, for sure, somewhere. <laughs> also in other places, but it doesn't, I feel it gives kind of less, less of this fear of, oh, this is something technical, I don't know, because you're already going by what you either want to do or, or are ab able to do well. This is such a good point, you know, looking at what you enjoy doing, because I think we all underestimate how important it is to have fun in what you're doing and how good you can get when you have fun. Yeah, and how dedicated you'll be to get even better and to kind of stick with yeah. it, so. Yeah, thank you. That's um, that's such a good message to end this interview. Thank you so much for your time and, and sharing your story with us. It was a great uh, pleasure talking to you. Sure, thank you so much for having me. Yeah.